Hello and welcome to Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd with me, Hannah Crosby. For the first six episodes of this podcast, we'll be delving into the world's most important fine wine regions. We'll be talking to our buyers and account managers as they share their insights and tips to help you enjoy and build your fine wine collection in 2022. In this week's episode, I'm discussing the joys of champagne with buyer Davy Jiv and senior fine wine account manager Tatiana Humphreys. So grab a glass of something good as we explore everything this decadent wine region has to offer us in 2022. Davy, Tatiana, thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down with me to explore how we can enjoy and build our champagne collections in 2022. David, let's start by introducing you to our listeners. Tell us a bit about your role and how you got the world's best job, champagne buyer at Berry Brothers and Rudd. My name is Davy Jiv and I am yeah, one of the luckiest men on the planet because my job entails being custodian of the range of champagnes we sell at Berry Brothers and Rudd. How did I get here? Well, I left school early and trained as a chef um, with a passion for food and wine, which took me to work as a sommelier um, around uh, the UK, including um, Mayfair's prestigious La Gavroche restaurant. Oh, um, wow. And it was at Le Gavroche as a sommelier when I was just a young nipper at the age of uh, sort of 21, which was really when I fell in love with champagne and joy it brings to people and its versatility throughout a meal. And Tatiana, as one of our account managers, can you tell us about what your role involves and how you help our clients build their dream sellers? Absolutely. So I am a senior account manager in the private clients team and I look after a wide array of clients. And I'd say champagne is definitely something they're really interested in at the moment. Mm. And in your view, what role does champagne have in a well-balanced seller? I think it's really changed over the last probably 10 years years or so I think in the past sellers were very much focused on Bordeaux Burgundy maybe a little bit of Italy but champagne has really risen through the ranks and I would say most sellers now will have a decent chunk of champagne in it to create a well-balanced seller but also we've seen prices really increase so Mm. it has that sort of investment edge as well. Well let's take it a bit further back. Davey do you remember the first bottle of champagne you drank that gave you that eureka epiphany moment? You know, I do. Um, I can remember it like it was yesterday, although it was well over 15 years ago now. Um, and just before I moved to France as a young man, mm-hmm. I was thrown a surprise party by my brother. And one of my friends who's, who was a smelly at the time had commandeered a bottle of Dom Perignon. And he brought it to the party. And I never tasted anything like that before. Was it vintage? It was a vintage 1996, Ooh. which, as we now know, mm-hmm. is, a, is a vintage which carries a lot of weight and a lot mm-hmm. of value now because of the conditions on the character and the stunning character the 96 vintage gave the wines. But that moment, which I had not, I wasn't drinking out of the correct glassware um, at the time. I think it was a mug. The effect it had on me tasting that Dom Pérignon was mm. profound. I remember getting goosebumps and I, I had no idea a wine could um, stimulate those feelings I had. And actually that was, that sip of Dom Pérignon propelled a career in the wine industry. Amazing. Tatiana, how about you? Did you drink yours from a mug or...? So no, no mugs for me. Okay. And actually on the pi- point of glassware, I think we really should be drinking champagne in, you know, proper wine glasses. Here, here. For me, yeah. and I'm sure Davy will agree, This it, sham- the great champagnes are wines, first mm. and foremost. And swirling them around in a silly flute just does no, does no favours to the, to the champagne you in the glass. You can't really swirl it around in a silly flute. That's the, yeah. 
Exactly. So I think we were all we we're all advocates of, of, of big glasses for champagne. Oh no, very much, to, uh, Tatiana. I mean the I mean the flutes. I think they were invented for, to showcase the, the visual mm. quality of champagnes, which of course are the gentle foaming stream of bubbles which, mm-hmm. you, which you have. And because champagne, you know, the champagne is an amazing drink and, and place to go. But really, it's also the drinks industry uh, is, I mean, it's a status thing too. And obviously, if you were in, in a restaurant and you're drinking champagne back in the day, you wanted to make sure that people knew what, mm. what you're drinking. And I think flutes would derive to showcase the visual quality of champagne, mm-hmm. but very much hinder the organoleptic, the the, uh, the enjoyment, the vinous quality. Mm-hmm. I always remember this is a, a good quote from the, I think she's left now, but Maggie, who was the CEO of Krug, Mm-hmm. For a long, long time, uh, it's an amazing, uh, an amazing lady who I've sung ACDC with at a party <laughs> in Lemonil a few years ago, and she said, "Drinking champagne out of flutes is like going to a concert wearing earmuffs because mm. you you, you yeah. dampen the natural vinous wine-like quality." by drinking out of them. So definitely, Tatiana, let's make sure we drink champagne out of proper wine glasses. Yes, here, here. Absolutely. So what was the first wine that you drank? So for me, it was when I was working in the London shop. That's where I really cut my teeth in the in the wine trade. And I was working under Edwin Dublin, who is our fantastic shop manager, who is also a champagne expert. And every Friday when we'd be you know closing down the shop, he would open up a bottle for us. And one of those bottles was... Um, a Valvelaine by Cedric Bouchard under the Rose de Jean label mm. and it really blew me away I'd never tasted a champagne from a single variety it's, it's Pinot Noir mm-hmm. um, a single vineyard and a single vintage and as we've just been talking about champagne as a wine it really did have that red fruit quality of mm-hmm. Pinot Noir and I just couldn't believe that champagne had so much more to it than I'd originally than thought bubbles because yeah, that's how you initially like. That's what you initially associate with champagne. You don't think of it like you say, Davy, having like this vinous aspect. But oh, yeah, absolutely amazing. And Davy, you've no doubt visited the region several, if not countless times. Can you tell us about the first time you visited Champagne and what made you fall in love with the region? Coming from Scotland, there was a, a, a parallel when I arrived in Champagne because it was it was cold, it was grey, <laughs> yeah. it was cold, and of course this marginal climate has dictated why Champagne is Champagne. It's mm. because you know historically the the vigneron, the wine growers, the winemakers could not achieve full phenolic sugar ripeness in the grapes, and they had to create something new. So when I first arrived in Champagne, yeah, I know the cold and, and the grey but when this when the sky is clear um, cleared it was I mean it's, it's just the most beautiful place you know it's Champagne is a world capital of luxury and emblematic for a lot of the glamorous associations we um, we associate mm-hmm. with Champagne as a, as a wine and as a brand but when you go there you realise you know th- these people are salt of the earth these are farmers these are farmers yeah. and it's an agricultural land very in, in the champagne area although the best vineyards are generally on the um on the hills mm-hmm. uh, of the Montagne de Reims and the Côte du Blanc but generally actually what you look around and actually it's a lot more agriculture wine only makes up a small part of of the of the visual uh, mm. landscape of of champagne but it's absolutely beautiful and particularly when you go in on a summer's day um and the skies are clear you know the chalk, which we can we can talk about, which which makes champagne what it is. Uh, it's the the ancient chalk soils of champagne. You know they literally they are the paths and vineyards are like it's they're almost illuminated mm-hmm. by the sun's rays bouncing off the chalk bedrock. Yeah. I mean it's just absolutely stunning. Beautiful. And how are you seeing the region changing as a whole? 
really good question. Um, I within the champagne, there's a few. Um, obviously, they're they're experiencing some of the climatic pressures which all winemakers are addressing across the world. But particularly if you live in a marginal climate, as champagne is historically, I think you are seeing the greatest effects of, of, of climate change. So I know the CIBC, which is the government body which overlooks the, the welfare and economy of, 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 of champagne, they're doing a lot of uh, they're doing a lot of investment in terms of identifying the right grapes, the right sites, the right root stocks to mm-hmm. make sure that you know they are future proofing mm-hmm. the styles and quality of champagne going forward. So I think that overall there's a really exciting undercurrent about how you know how uh, vignerons and, and winemakers are a future proofing production. If you step back from that a little, there's a really exciting, um, and I think this is not only in Champagne, but um, but what we see within the region now is people like Louis Roderer, the creators of Cristal, and some of the greatest great champagnes there are. You know, these this are, is uh, an estate which has over 240 hectares of vines, which are now farming organically, mm-hmm. if not some of that is biodynamically. Mm. Before climate change, this was d- a difficult task in its own right because of the damp, because of the cold, because of the rain the champagne has. But So you could argue that sh- climate change is having a positive effect for producers who are looking to do more organic viticulture. But I think it's a, it's, it's a brave move in champagne, but we're seeing mm. more and more producers move, move forward and to look after their vines and think about the generations in front of them who they want to protect their vineyards for. Tatiana, vintage champagne accounts for just 5% of all champagne production. What is it that makes it so special? Definitely in in our client cellars, vintage champagne plays a huge role. I think this also comes down to when you compare it to other regions. I think think clients and, and, and drinkers alike feel more comfortable when they see a number in front of a wine. You you can sort of get sort of solid with that. Interesting. I think vintage champagnes are beautiful because they show off the the year in which they're made. I also think non-vintage champagnes are incredible and shouldn't be ignored Mm. and seen as sort of lower quality. I just think they're different. You know, Krug's Grand Cuvée, Porroger's White Fit Foil, Louis Roder's was called Brut Premier are stunning wines and and can age for a a good couple of years. So yes, vintage champagne, is is the greatest but don't don't overlook non-vintages and then when it comes to building wine collections are we just talking about vintage champagne or is it big names i think more and more we're looking at the growers so Mm. this is a sort of a sort of subcategory category i guess that sits alongside the grand marks so that's people like Bollinger, uh, Moet Chandon. Uh, The growers are much smaller they probably own all their vineyard own vineyards and you know, we did an artisanal champagne offer back in October, which we would never have done before, mm. which again shows the appetite for, for champagne. So yes, the big names are in cellars, um, but you, yeah, you will also see non-vintages. And I, I really like to always recommend buying a case of, say, Porroger's non-vintage, mm-hmm. put it in your cellar for a year or two. And when you withdraw it to drink, you'll really notice those kind of saffrony more tertiary notes coming through fabulous so we've talked a little bit about growers there Davey for you at the moment which producers are doing the most exciting things in champagne great question I think a lot of the grand marks and the growers are producing outstanding um, champagnes but as uh, Tatiana was saying there's an amazing undercurrent and not undercurrent a new voice that I think some of the dynamics of the champagne region have um, 
um, have allowed growers a little bit more of a platform um, to, to come through. And some of these growers are making some of the most exciting wines in the region. Cedric Beauchard, um, mm. who uh, Tatiana has already mentioned, my goodness, these wines are exceptional. But we need to think about these wines in a slightly different light. Traditional champagne, which is a, a blend of vintages, a blend of grapes, a blend of um, areas. Mm-hmm. Cedric Beauchard in, was, is in the uh, the dirty south of champagne okay. in, in Le Aube which is closer to Chablis than it is Reims or Epony. And this, historically, would be a region where potentially the, the Grand Marks would be slightly dismissive of, Champagne mm-hmm. enthusiasts would be dismissive of, because it's um, a fairly un- undervalued, underdeveloped uh, wine-growing area. But the wines coming out of Aube, like the wines of Cedric Beauchard, like the, Ch- the Champagne Fleury, mm-hmm. we often our artisanal Champagne offer last year, are creating wines of such tension and vinous character and expression, perfume, and a very... An incredible expressions of either single sites and single vintages, mm-hmm. which is very much a trend we're seeing um, in Champagne now. I've got to mention uh, a producer who's very dear to my heart because I'm a huge fan of his wines, which is um, Champagne Pierre Peters, mm-hmm. based in uh, Le Menil sur Auger. So this is really, I mean, across the villages of Le Côte du Blanc, um, Le Menil sur Auger are known for the wines with um, the most tension, the most minerality, the most mm. salinity. And uh, Pierre, the wines of Pierre Peters really encapsulates uh, yeah. Le Menil. And he's got two releases coming up this summer. Uh, of his two single vineyards, the Chetillon and Montjoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about these uh, these wines this year. Brilliant. I'm excited too. And how about you, Tatiana? Which producers are you the most excited about right now? I would echo Davy, and um, I'm a massive fan of Pierre Peters. I think his Chardonnays are some of the best in the region. I also really would like to highlight Le Clerc Briand, mm. which is a fantastic producer. Um, the wines are made by Hervé Justin, mm-hmm. who is the sort of the man to know in champagne he he sort of works with all these different producers and the wines he makes with Le Clerc Briand are so precise so so elegant and have this lovely sort of saline finish mm. so I definitely look out for them and alongside that in my day-to-day job I get to try you know all the new releases so I was lucky enough to taste Porroger's Sir Winston Churchill 2013 last week I love the 2012 uh, Winston Churchill which was released this time uh, last year but the 12 vintage you know has lovely opulence nice maturity richer fruit style Mm-hmm. Um, which which suits which suits the 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 style of Churchill, which is generally quite powerful, rich, a strong willed um, champagne. But the thirteens have an incredible precision, more energy, a slightly more linear, more um, more classical, uh, and yeah, the, the wines are amazing. Well, we've talked a little bit about producers. Let's talk a bit more about vintages. So, Davy, which vintages should collectors be on the lookout for their sellers? You know, there's a few very, very famous vintages which are which are now beginning beginning to become more and more uh, difficult difficult to get hold of. Mm-hmm. 1998, 1996, uh, 2002. These vintages were all um, you know credited as some of the greatest in Champagne in in, in modern um, in in recent memory. And these champagnes, I think, are really coming into their own in terms of um, how they're drinking um, and the the incredible balance of vineyard tension, winemaking prowess, and now evolution in bottle is uh, they're creating some incredible styles. Mm. Two thousand eight is a vintage which I know Tatiana can can speak about. Um, where it's been in extraordinary demand recently, and but the wines I'd say if you if you're lucky enough to have any two thousand eight, yes. <laughs> please hold on to it a little bit more. Mm. The wines are probably in a slightly more insular looking place because they're they're built. 
because of the the acid line in them, because of the intensity of the vintage, they probably need a bit more time. I, I would recommend open, uh, waiting a few years before you drink them. Mm. 2009, on the other hand, the following year, well, has a lovely sunny disposition mm. to it. It was a it was a brighter year. Uh, the wines don't have the same the same uh, tension, but I've got amazing uh, openness, maturity, and a, a real and they are drinking beautifully now. Mm. So uh, 2009 is definitely something to look out for. Yeah, I can see you nodding your head there, Tatiana. Would you echo everything Davies just said? Absolutely. I think a lot of producers actually release their 09s before the 08s as a sign to the consumers that, you know, 09 is a vintage that's ready to go now, mm-hmm. whereas 08, you know, leave it, leave it for much longer. Sure. And I think we, we probably all drink champagne far too young. It's one of those wines that's that's quite unique in a way that is, is sort of ready to go when it's released. Mm-hmm. But also they have drinking windows. I mean, 08 Don Perignon, I think, has a drinking window until about 2050. Jeez. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really quite incredible. And I think, you know, if you can get your hands on some of these top vintages like 2002, 08, 12, mm-hmm. even 06 and 04, I think, are, are excellent too. You can buy a couple of cases, drink sure. one, save one for a bit later. Mm. And what is it about these vintages that makes them so special? As a winemaker, you're looking for those that, that was really kind of perfect conditions. So not too much sun, but 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 the right amount. You don't want rain mm. because that's going to create rot and, and disease. It, it's sort of you're you're waiting for the stars to align. Mm-hmm. I think very much so. And I think um, 04 and 06. Now these are like some of the greatest un- underrated vintages. I think I know a lot of the wine trade wine enthusiasts are looking for 06 and 04 because of their because of the, I mean the quality of these wines is exceptional. But what the sort of the linking factor in a great vintage in Champagne, unlike you know I suppose more conventional wine fine wine regions around the world that producers are not looking for full phenolic ripeness they're not mm. looking for full sugar ripeness because they're not making still wines they're they're, they're a champagne only starts its journey when it's when it's being picked because it's got to go through two fermentations and a long time of aging before it's mm. going to be ready to be um, to be drunk so i think sun not too much sun you know mm-hmm. um uh, rain is a problem i think you know, if you're in northwest france it does get cold it does get cool there is there is rain and i know recent vintages there's been a lot of problems with um with disease pressures because mm-hmm. of the rain and also increasingly which is which burgundy has suffered from too which is frosts um mm. there's been a lot of frosts in champagne so much so you know you'll you'll see the Cote de Blanc lit up by candlelight uh, as late as april may june with wow. um, some of these um you know, there's some of the Arctic winds that sweep down off the Baltic Sea and into Champagne region. Um, so there's a few pressures that the Vignons are going through, mm-hmm. um, which has made demand even um, even more acutely felt over recent years. During the lockdown two years ago, the CIVC, who again the government, the government, the governing board, mm-hmm. uh, looked at over their interests and and total supply and volume of Champagne. They'll dictate to the vignon whether you're a grower, whether you're Sergio Bouchard or vineyards of Dom Perignon, mm-hmm. um, you'll be set uh, a yield limit by, by the CIBC. And during the lockdown, they're uh, anticipating a, a slump in demand because of because champagne sales were were right down. There's no yeah. cultural events. There's no there weddings. Wasn't much there was, to celebrate. There wasn't a lot to celebrate. So there's a very short vintage in twenty uh, in 2020 and 2021. There was a lot of uh, Mother Nature decreased the volumes, not the CIBC. So they, right. there's, there's there's been two short vintages um, in Champagne for for whatever reason, which has made an even even greater um, mm-hmm. demand for 
uh, current vintages which are already in the market and also back vintages which which released some time ago. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to vintage champagne, we've kind of touched on how we drink champagne perhaps a little bit too young. But is older always better? It, it, obviously, this is a personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree with Tatiana saying we all drink champagne too long, young. The, if we, it's going to take one takeout. In fact, the two takeouts we made with this podcast, one, use appropriate glassware, proper wine glasses. <laughs> okay. Two, if you buy Paul Roger White Foil, Louis Roder collection, our UKC, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you buy a non-vintage or multi-vintage uh, brute and you can age it for an additional year, two years in mm-hmm. your own cellar before drinking it, oh my goodness, the, the wines change and they're so much better for it. You know, mm-hmm. you think champagne has had a, uh, it's a complex wine because of the secondary fermentation, because of the dosage, because of the effervescence, the pressure, the atmosphere is contained in every single bottle, but they age differently to normal wines. And if you can give your champagne that additional time on cork, in your room cellar, under the stairs, in uh, at Barry Brothers, wherever it might be, the profile of the palate, the aromatics, how the mousse effervescence sits and knits into the wine will change, and it will benefit mm. from it. So I definitely, um, I definitely buy some non-vintage champagne mm. with Barry Brothers rod and store it for a couple of years before you drink it. Tatiana, what current trends are you seeing among your private clients in the wider fine wine market when it comes to buying champagne? Well, I would say in my inbox, I see lots of emails saying, hi, Tatiana, please, can you get me more champagne? So that (laughs) is definitely a trend across the board for drinking, um, for putting into the cellar too. Mm. As Davey mentioned, there is definitely sort of difficulties with, with, with volumes and there is a demand for certain wines that is is often hard to to sort of guarantee for for customers. Sure. But but my advice would be to really spend some time on BBX, which is our fine wine exchange, which is a real treasure trove of of, of wines that have maturity and can often be very well priced. There's to some market. amazing wines on there, like truly amazing. Absolutely, and if you can just you know spend a Saturday just having a having a little rifle through and and even ask your account manager to help you out because mm. there's a lot of a lot of great cases on there mm. well we've talked about which champagne vintages we should be storing in our cellars but which champagne vintages should we be drinking and enjoying in 2022 david we'll start with you i think all the all sixes are mm-hmm. exceptional i think underrated when they when they were first released but i think they're they're, they're approaching a really beautiful stage in their in their evolution now 2012 is a vintage which there's a spectrum of interpretations made from 2012 some which are very much built to last but some which are just ready to pop right now and mm-hmm. i love the maturity and the, the fruit quality and the flesh of the palate of the 2012s there's a wine which we released a couple years ago which uh, is from producer champagne le Cret brion which uh, tatiana mentioned a few minutes ago mm-hmm. um and they do a, a grand blanc which is basically there uh it, it's it's a uh, Incredible! They've got a few biodynamic vineyards, organic vineyards in the in the Côte du Blanc, mm-hmm. um, mostly in uh, IVs and one slightly closer towards Epinay. Uh, they use and the 2012 uh, vintage of uh, of Le Clerc Blanc, Grand Blanc is. Um, I had it a couple of years ago, but I know that is. I'm when I got a special occasion this year. That's the one that I'm going to go for, and I th- I believe there's a couple of cases on BBX. Oh, but only a couple. Only a couple. Move quickly, guys. And how about you, Tatiana? What uh, vintages will you be uncorking this year? So I I always like to have a look for the kind of off vintages, as as people say, because that's where the value is. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a, an incredible bottle once, which was 05 Tatinger Comte de Champagne, mm. and it was just beautiful and. 
you know, probably a lot less expensive than the 06 and, and, and of course the 08. Mm. Um, but, you know, such ripeness and, and, and flesh and, yeah, 2004 as well is just so beautiful right now. Mm. It's, it's got a nice amount of age showing those kind of pastry, biscuity notes, but there's still a lot of freshness. Wonderful. Yeah. So talking a bit more about the enjoyment of champagne and which bottles we're going to be popping this year. Usually we think of champagne solely as an aperitif, a way to start off a meal. But Davey, I know you're a massive advocate for pairing champagne with food, right? Absolutely. I mean, champagne is one of these, I mean, it's just the most incredible drink. And one thing, you know, it, it makes people happy. It's mm. what, it, it lubricates conversation in a way which no other drink on the planet can. And, you know, partially that is down to the bubbles contained within the champagne. The alcohol gets in your bloodstream quicker than through your stomach lining on, mm-hmm. on a still wine. So you do get a buzz quicker from champagne. Apart from that, champagne is very much thought as an imperative for someone to start a meal and not drink throughout. And I'm, throughout my career, I've been trying to suggest to people that they mm. should be drinking champagne throughout a meal. Because champagne's got all the traits and qualities of what still still wine has but even more because mm. because it's got the effervescence it's got ex- this extra di- dynamic this extra dimension of, of texture the champagne is a, an odd wine in the sense it's often a, a white wine but it's actually made from red grapes and as Tatiana said right at the beginning with her uh, first experience with Cedric Bouchard the champagnes often have this vinous earthy perfume red fruit quality to them mm. which we associate with red wine and often and, this, and often this this character of champagne can make it can make it stand up to white meat dishes incredibly well. Christmas days is a, is a fine example, but also richer red meats too: mm. duck, veal, steak tartare. I mean, mm-hmm. th- these are characters, these earth, these earthy flavors, which require wines with with richness, good acidity, but also um, perfume. And I think uh, champagne it ticks so many boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything from cheese to fish, we haven't even covered yet, but, but, but white white meats. Particularly people who love fine French cookery with lots of rich, creamy sauces, mm. good, which will come from good stock, rich flavours. They require something to cleanse and cut through and contrast these um, these rich dishes. And champagne is often the only answer. It's a great way to, to end a dinner or a lunch. Crack open a bottle of champagne, serve it with the cheese... And everyone leaves feeling really happy. Oh, brilliant. Well, just to wrap up our conversation, Tatiana, if I had to push you for just one thing we should take away from this podcast episode, whether it be a wine to try or a producer to follow, what would it be? I would say more generally, Mm -hmm. if you store wines with Berry Brothers and Rad are looking to store wines, really think about having a case of champagne in there. It will be so rewarding for you. And if I had to really highlight a producer, um, I think Le Clerc Briand are mm. fabulous. And again, there is a bit more value there compared to the Grand Marks. And how about you, Davey? If there's one thing we should take away, what would it be? Well, I've already mentioned two things. One is one is the correct glassware. Really, it's the, fact, the point Tatiana made about how we, how we age and drink champagne. Mm. You know, champagne is an amazing wine on release and, and it has a profound effect on anyone who's lucky enough to have a sip of it. But generally, we do drink champagne too young. Mm. Because of the way champagne's made, because of the dochas, the sugar that's added to it, because of the effervescence contained within these wines, they age incredibly well and mm. longer than many other any other white wine. Um, Riesling, perhaps, um, mm-hmm. ex- an exception. 
if you do have champagne, do squirt it away because by the time you get around to drinking it in however long time, you will be rewarded. Mm. Brilliant. Well, all that remains for me to say is, Davey, Tatiana, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and sitting down and discussing champagne with me today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Drinking Well, a podcast by Barry Brothers and Rudd. If you'd like to hear more episodes or you're keen to learn more about fine wine from our experts, visit bbr.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or you've been enjoying the podcast in general, do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We hope to welcome you back soon. But until then, thank you again for listening to this episode of Drinking Well.